Good morning, family. Always great to fellowship together, to be in the house of God together, to raise His name. The tomb is empty. Amen. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. And you'll know why I'm screaming and shouting that after the sermon this morning. Because the fact that He is alive, it distinguishes us from all other religions in the world. Our Lord is not in the grave. He is alive. Amen. Awesome stuff. I have one uh, quick announcement uh, to give you before I introduce our speaker today. Um, we are grateful, as every nation, uh, Joburg, to be part of what God is doing in the city. So we have been invited to be part of the gig, which is Hot is Hurt. God is great. It's a concert that's happening at Liar School, Low Helden Hayes. I've been practicing that the last couple of days. It is in London. It is a concert a few days before the elections, and you have Dr. Toomey, uh, Heinz Winkler, Retief Berger. Oh, by the way, if you didn't know, Heinz Winkler is part of every nation in Somerset West. Retief Berger is part of every nation in Swanee. And we also get to have Dr. Toomey. I said Toomey just for Greg, Dr. Toomey. And you don't always get to have Dr. Toomey for 50 rounds. So please join us at the gig where we'll be worshiping the God together, but we also get to pray for our nation together. They've also requested us to help with the follow-up. So if you can make yourself available to help with the follow-up, some people give their, name, their lives to the Lord at this concert, and we want you to sign up at the end of the service in the foyer so we know uh, if you can be able to help us uh, follow up the people who give their lives to the Lord at this concert. So we're really looking forward to it. Now it's my joy and honor to welcome a dear friend, Franz Olivier, who's going to share the word with us. Franz is a husband, a father, a strategist, and an evangelist. So not always we get a, a fivefold evangelist in the house. Today we have one uh, flowing from the anointing of Reinhard Bonke, Billy Graham. We have that in the house today. Uh, Franz uh, has been a dear friend for many years now, and I'm not just saying it lightly. We've been to holidays together as families, and our friendship stood the test of time. If we can go on holidays together and still keep the friendship, it says a lot about your friendship. Let's welcome Franz. Introduction, uh, however, I'm testing my friendship because I do feel compelled to just translate what Simon tried to say, and it's hot as groot. Is that right? Okay, hot as groot event, the God is great event. That sounds like an amazing uh, build up for the elections, I'd say. But uh, before I start, I want to introduce you to my amazing family. Uh, we've been, you know, lived in uh, four nations, three continents together. You have to know just how brave my wife is. To be married to an evangelist, uh, you know, that travels around the world. Although, having said that, she's actually been to more nations than I have. So uh, she has such a heart for Jesus, a heart for the nations. And, uh, and then I have my three kids there. Titus is my firstborn. Uh, he's on your left. I have to check. <laughs> and then uh, we have Ethan on, my, on the right and then uh, Ruth at the back there. And uh, I, we just spent a glorious two weeks in South Africa but sadly, uh, yesterday I had to say goodbye to them at the airport as they went back to London as the kids start school this week. So, um, but anyway, they, uh, in fact, I just got a message now that uh, they just arrived safely uh, back in London. So, so thankful for that. 
uh, with no reference to Ethiopian Airlines that we're flying with and uh, past record. Uh, the, anyway, I, I say no more. All right. But uh, I do bring you greetings from your Every Nation family uh, across Europe. I've had the privilege of the last uh, year and a half to travel uh, a fair bit to many of our churches. And uh, I have to say that God is doing something amazing. Uh, before I left, uh, I, you know, we were based in George. This was after we'd started the church in Kenya. Uh, we were based in George for a season. And uh, you, you have to know that you are called by God to leave a place like South Africa to go to the uh, cloudy skies of, of London. But uh, despite that, we heard the call of God. Saviwe was actually very instrumental in, in even bringing the word of the Lord to us, confirming that, and uh, just so, so excited. But uh, you know, we are seeing God work. But uh, before I left, I read a statistic that said that there are 20 million students across Europe with less than 1% following Christ. And if, the, if the, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation is the philosophy of the society in the next, we're in trouble. But we believe that there is a Jesus that has risen. And we believe that the gospel is greater than the current spiritual tide. And we believe that through the preaching of the gospel and raising of evangelists, that we can leave not the 99 to go after the one, but we can leave the one to go after the 99. And so that's what we're doing. And we're seeing uh, just God do awesome things. I was with Dr. Rice Brooks in um, Poland just a few months ago. And, uh, you know, we've had events in the past where maybe we get 15 to 20 people. This is a picture of Poland with over 500 people that attended uh, this particular outreach event. Uh, that's five people. There we go. <laughs> All right. And, um, but I want to draw your attention to a little dot in the second row. Okay, I, you won't be able to see it precisely. But there was a lady there called Clara. You know, it's, it's not about the crowds. It's not about the masses. It's actually about what God can do in the life of an individual. And there was this lady called Clara. She's on the national gymnastics team. Two weeks prior to this event, she tried to take her own life. And then she saw an advertisement for God's not dead, and she thought, well, maybe if God isn't dead, then uh, maybe there's hope for me. And so she decided to come. And as she heard the evidence was presented, some of which you'll hear this morning, as she heard the evidence presented, and then she heard that, there's, that, that God came into this world, He died, He came back to life, all because He loves us, she suddenly realized that maybe God loves her. And uh, I remember after the event, I was walking past the front row, and, I, and, and I, I didn't know who she was then, but I just caught, she caught my eye, and I just saw someone ministering to her, and she was weeping as she asked Jesus to come into her heart, and she found hope. And this is why we are going. This is why I'm, I'm passionate about identifying evangelists who can equip the saints to grow in courage and confidence and competence to share this powerful message of Jesus and what He's done for us. So, I'm um, just so excited about that, and, and to do that, uh, this year we're launching our first gathering of evangelists for Europe, and uh, that's happening in October in Paris. Uh, if any of you sense the call to come to Europe, speak to your pastors. If it was up to me, I would just say come, but you know, there's something to be said for process. Uh, but uh, I, I do invite you uh, to consider, if you, if you do sense a call, you know, consider this event. This is a great opportunity, and it's going to be time of equipping, and we're going to do outreach. We're just starting a church there with one of your leaders, with Ryan and Marita Cayley. So uh, you sent them, and they are doing an amazing job, I just have to tell you. So thank you. Thank you for your labor of love. Thank you for sending and uh, all that you do. Now, uh, I could carry on just sharing amazing stuff, but I guess we better get into the Word, right? So I'm excited about the series you've been doing. 
the, uh, just uh, be the light and bringing the light into darkness. And, and I think that actually just is a summary of what Easter represents, of what this, what this is all about, is that God himself came into the darkness of this world to bring the light, to tear the veil, to make the way so that we can be in relationship with him. Now, what I want to do is I want to base what I'm going to share with you this morning on 1 Corinthians 15, and I do recommend that even maybe this week, go back and, and revisit this, even read the whole chapter, read what I'm going to share with you in context. We only have a short time together, so I want to make the most of it. So I'm going to read to you uh, verse three, to, 3 and 4 to start, and then I'm going to read to you uh, from verse 14 to 19 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And this is the Apostle Paul who was a significant convert, a persecutor of the church, who writes this. And he says the following. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. So if he's making the statement, this is of first importance, he's saying, listen up. Are you ready? Are you going to listen up? Let's honor the word and let's give it our full attention. Let's not be thinking about, I won't even mention it, because whatever I mention, you'll start thinking about, right? So uh, let's just... Focus on the word. And this is what he said. He says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, when he says according to the scriptures, what he's meaning is that this was foretold. There was prophecy. And if you go and study it, there were over 600 prophecies concerning this one event that were impossible for a human being to bring to pass unless they were God such as the virgin birth, such as claiming to die and come back to life three days later. Only God could do that. And so, um, and then it goes on, and from verse 14, here's what Paul says. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, because he's just made the, the, a, a declaration, a statement. He said, Jesus died, was buried in the tomb, and then came back to life. Then he goes on, he says, and if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. There's no power. There is power in the resurrection. And so he says that then, you know, our faith is useless. And more than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. In other words, there's no ways that Jesus could be God, unless he did indeed come back to life. And, and if we're just lying about it, if we're just making this all up, well, you know what, then our faith is, is, is useless. And it says, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And he's just addressing um, some debate and issues at the time about whether or not there is an afterlife or not. And so he is making a point and saying the other point to consider is that if Jesus did rise from the dead, then this life isn't all that there is to life. Then there is a life beyond this life. And here's a point that I just want to make before I move on, is that, you know, in this life, we might live 80, 90, maybe 100 years, but a million years from now, you'll still be in that afterlife. So what do you think we should prioritize? The comforts of this life or invest for the next life? For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised... Again, he makes a statement, your faith is futile, and he has the reason why. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. 
And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now, here's the thing that Paul is saying is, is in, in a nutshell, in essence, he's saying that if Jesus never rose from the dead, then none of this really matters. Now, let me just illustrate something for you. So, um, you saw the picture of my family, and one of our traditions is Friday nights is family movie night. And so, we love just getting pizza or hot dogs, and, and there we are, and, uh, and then, you know, we choose a movie, which has now become actually quite a contentious issue in our home. But when they were younger, it was a whole lot easier. We used to just pick either the latest cartoon or the cartoon that we've watched the least, like Shrek or Finding Nemo, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, kids just seem to have this amazing capacity to see, you know, like a goldfish, see something for the 10th time, and it's as if it's the first, right? So anyway, one of our favorite cartoons, actually a TV series, is called Phineas and Ferb. Anybody heard of Phineas and Ferb, yeah? Okay, we've got some fans in the house. That's good. So uh, for those of you who are ignorant and haven't yet heard the gospel of Phineas and Ferb, uh, let me explain. They're two boys, and they are like these two geniuses, and they come up with these incredible inventions that defy the laws of physics and that you wish could actually exist. Right? And time and again, every episode, they go through all of this. But uh, in the series, there's also a villain called Dr. Doofenshmirtz. I'm probably mispronouncing his name, kind of like Cortes Gruet or, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Anyway, so Dr. Doofenshmirtz, he always invents these, he comes up with these inventions. He's a villain, so he wants to, you know, do it for his own gain. He's got some evil plot. But for some reason, he always puts into the design a self-destruct button. And so he has an enemy, which is actually the the boy's pet, uh, Duckbill Platypus. Okay, I'm not making this up. This is for real. Okay. (laughs) A duckbill platypus who's a spy, and uh, he's always out to try and, and uh, defeat Dr. Doofenshmirtz. And so it's easy for him. All he has to do is go to the self-destruct button, he pushes the button, and boom, you know, the, the, the plan is foiled. And Dr. Doofenshmirtz, every time he goes, why did I put that, that button into the design? You know, and, but then next time he does it again. Now here's the point. The Apostle Paul, in, in making the statement where he says that if Christ never rose from the dead, then our faith is futile, is like a self-destruct button to the Christian faith. And in fact, if you're a skeptic, you don't need to waste your time on trying to debate origins or evil and suffering or any other form of skepticism against the Christian faith. The one thing only that you need to focus on is the resurrection of Jesus. So the question we need to ask ourselves is, well, first of all, did the event actually happen? And secondly, if the event did happen, then why is it even important? Because maybe it happened, but so what? Maybe it's relevant to some people over there, but actually not for me at all. But you know what? I want to share with you, first of all, just hopefully to to substantiate the kind of faith that we call to believe in is not just purely a a blind faith, but actually there's evidence that we can explore um, and examine, and we're going to look at some of that this morning. But uh, the one point I want to make also is that Paul, writing this book, wrote 25 years after the event. That is actually a very short period of time. So even for us, 2,000 years later, we can still go back and examine not just his writings, but the thousands of other writings that, uh, you know, that, that correspond uh, surrounding these events. And um, it's kind of like, imagine... Uh, Nelson Mandela, you know, 25 years ago was when he was elected president of our nation. 
So imagine people 2,000 years from now claiming, sorry, there's no such person that lived. You know, there never was a president called Nelson Mandela. Even if there was no media, even if there were no photographs or videos available, there's so many writings, so many books that have been written, so much historical record to be able to verify whether or not Nelson Mandela existed and whether he was elected as president. And, and Jesus Christ was as well-known and as famous in his context as Nelson Mandela is to us. When he went to a town, thousands gathered to come and hear what he had to say. Historians, there are Roman and, and Jewish historians that write about the person of Jesus that we can examine. And of course, there are skeptics who've come up with various um, thoughts and arguments around, you know, just uh, why, you know, these events never happened. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a video that kind of just summarizes um, all of that for us, because uh, I'm not going to go into detail. So uh, if we can just have the video now, that'd be great. Dude. Hey, what's up? What you reading? The Bible. You're reading the Bible? Yeah. Dude, why are you reading the Bible? For class? No, I just... Okay, so you're just reading the Bible. You're just sitting here in a coffee shop in the 21st century using state-of-the-art technology to read ancient myths for no reason whatsoever. Well... Tell me something. Are you one of those super religious people who thinks Jesus actually rose from the dead? Well, I do believe that. Do you also believe in the Easter Bunny? Santa Claus? Unicorns? Bigfoot? Ever been abducted by aliens? And do you buy into all those other ancient myths about dying and rising gods invented by primitive nomadic tribes back in the Bronze Age? No. Okay, so what's the difference between Jesus rising from the dead and all those other fairy tales? Here's the difference. My belief in the resurrection of Jesus is rational. It's based on historical facts. <laughs> facts? What facts? Well, first, Jesus died by crucifixion. Whoa, hold on. We don't even know if Jesus existed. Why should I believe your facts? Well, because the five facts I'm going to give you are backed by so much historical evidence that most professional critical scholars who study the subject accept them as true. That includes skeptical atheist scholars. Okay, so Jesus was a guy who actually existed and then got himself killed. So what? That's the first fact. Second, his disciples were convinced that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. Third, Paul, a sworn enemy of the early Christians, suddenly became a Christian. Fourth, Jesus' skeptical brother James also became a Christian. And fifth, the tomb where they put Jesus' body was empty. And those are well-established historical facts. Right, but you can't just leave it there. These facts demand an explanation. Otherwise, you've got a big hole in human history. Okay, here's an explanation. They all lied. It was a conspiracy, the most monumental prank ever perpetrated. His followers stole his corpse from the tomb and then started telling everybody he was alive. That's the conspiracy theory. The problem is it doesn't explain the facts. How do a few spineless fishermen, cringing in fear for their lives, subdue a bunch of well-armed, professional Roman guards, roll away a two-ton stone, steal a body, then hide it from a city swarming with people trying to find it? And why would they do it? The disciples had absolutely nothing to gain by lying about Jesus' resurrection. In fact, they were persecuted. And we have good historical evidence that five of them were martyred because of their claim that Jesus rose from the dead. Apparently not a single one of them ever recanted. People don't willingly die for something they know isn't true. They were there. They knew whether it was true or not. All right, another theory. The disciples thought they saw Jesus alive after he died, but it was just wishful thinking. They were stressed and just kind of hallucinated. 
The hallucination theory also lacks explanatory power. 500 witnesses saw Jesus at the same time, and the disciples touched him. Psychologists have shown that hallucinations don't work like that, nor does this explain the empty tomb. Okay, look, maybe there's some other explanation, but the bottom line is dead people stay dead. Rising from the dead would be a supernatural event, a miracle, and science has proven that miracles don't happen. Oh, really? When did that happen? I don't know. I just kind of heard it somewhere. Science has not disproven miracles. In fact, that would be impossible. Why? Science deals exclusively with natural phenomena, physical matter and material processes, right? Uh, yeah. But a miracle, by definition, is not a natural phenomenon. It's supernatural. So? So a supernatural event would lie outside the boundaries of science. It's logically impossible for science to throw out any hypothesis that lies outside its boundaries. Why have I never heard this stuff before? I don't know. Maybe because it's scary? Scary? Yeah. As long as Jesus rising from the dead is just a fairy tale, like Santa Claus and unicorns, it doesn't threaten my little world. But if it's a fact, if he actually did rise from the dead, that's huge. It's a total game changer. And that's why it's so hard to think about it objectively. <laughs> whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big whoa. That's a big whoa. <laughs> All right. Now, we don't have time to go through point for point, but if you want to watch that video again, there's an app called God's Not There that you can download, and it has this video and many others that address some of the questions that people have. Um, I, I hope you'll find that useful, but um, I want us to switch gears now. So even if you're not convinced, let's assume for the moment that actually the resurrection did take place. Why is this important? Why does it matter? Why does it matter to me right now? living in 2019. You know, Paul made the point, even in what I read there in 1 Corinthians 19, that what Jesus accomplished by dying and by rising from the dead is he defeated two things, sin and death. The reason why this is so important, Romans 6 verse 23, it says that the wages of sin is death. And if we look at the world that we live in, this is a, a, a world that God created amazing. He created a universe that he said was good, and that was by his standard of goodness, which is perfection. However, if we look at the world we have today with, with all the wars and the poverty, the corruption, the political upheavals, and all the, 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 the health and, and all the issues that we face with, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I would struggle to conclude that by God's standard of goodness, this world is good. So here's the problem. There's a, you know, it was infiltrated by a virus we call sin. And the problem we have, whether it's in Europe or Africa or Asia or wherever, is a problem, an issue of justice. God created the universe as a moral universe, which means that the moment there's any rebellion against God, it allows for sin to come in and causes a separation. The reason for that is because God is holy and God is good. So you see, if, if God was evil and if God was a tyrant and if God was, was just out to, to want to just punish and destroy us the whole time, then separation from God would actually be a good thing. But the reality is, is that God is loving, God is good, God is kind, and God is all that is good. And so what came into this world is like a giant that taunts us. 
It's like Goliath who stood before the armies of Israel with his two big muscular arms wielding weapons of sin and death and, and taunting the people of God, declaring them to be weak and defeated and discouraged. And you know what? Maybe that's you today. I don't know what you're going through or what you've been through or what's happened to you in your life. But what I do know is that sin and destruction is all around us. That there are things that can defeat us. And so just like David stood up, even when the whole of the Israeli Israeli army were terrified of this giant, David stood up and he, he declared to this giant, he said, how dare you defy the armies of the living God? And he stood up to that giant and he picked up his five stones and he slew that giant and then he took off its head and defeated it. And as a result, he, he made a way for the whole army to go and to defeat the Philistines represented by this giant. And so in the same way, there are only two kingdoms in all of reality. There's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light. There are only two kingdoms. And Jesus came as the representative of the kingdom of light. He faced the Goliath of sin and death. And he said, Goliath, you will fall. And the way that he achieved that is he went to the grave. He died what is an unlawful death. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it means that to die, you need to have sinned. Jesus came into this world and he lived a sinless life. And then when he died, he died an unlawful death. And in that sense, there's a credit of life that was credited to him. Do you know what Jesus does? Jesus comes to us and he says, come to me. I have a gift for you. And he offers us the gift of eternal life. And he says, I have defeated sin. I have defeated death. He defeated sin by dying. He defeated death by resurrecting. And so the death that the Bible speaks about is not a physical death. We know we will die. But he's talking about a spiritual death, a spiritual eternal death. Because when we die and we leave this world, we go into the eternal reality. And there's only one of two kingdoms we go to. You know, and the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, for God so loved the world. He loves you. He loves me. He loves our neighbor. He loves every one of us. And he came into this world, and he came and he died on our behalf. He took all of our sin on himself. And the reason why he did that is because he loves us. I want you to know this morning that God loves you. I don't know how you feel or how, where you are. It doesn't matter how much rejection or abandonment you may have experienced in your life. No matter how severe, whatever traumas you may have been through, I want to assure you that there is a God that loves you. There is a God who cares. If God did not care, Jesus would not have come into this world. He would not have subjected himself to the hands of the Romans, dying on a cross, a torturous death. And he did that because he paid the price so that we could live with him. Not only to live with him, but to join with him and to become part of his family. So this morning, what I want us to do is I want to have an opportunity that we can respond to God. I want us all to stand. And I want us to, just as we are celebrating Easter, this is Easter Sunday. And we are honoring the hero of history. And we are honoring the greatest achievement of all time, 
When Jesus came into this world, he paid the price and he died, conquering both sin and death in one moment, just like David with one stone. He defeated the, the, the giant. And I believe that this morning, for each of us, if we will open our hearts, and if we will say, Jesus, will you come in? If we invite him in, Revelations chapter 3, verse 20 says, it says of Jesus, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. He says, If anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. He did all that he, he could in order to be able to step in. And even in the midst of our struggles, I, you know, just a, a, a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago, I started a a, a group in a, in a pub, you know, kind of like a bar, you know, for a, a group of dads that I've been connecting with, people who don't know Jesus yet. And I, I started this group and, and I invited them. I said, look, you know, I believe that there's opportunity for all of us to become better versions of ourselves. I was offering an opportunity for character growth, and that's what I said to them. And, and, uh, and you know, one of them's a Muslim, another one's a spiritualist, another one's very religious background, but no faith. And I invited them into this journey, and I said, come join with me. And then I, I said, we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to look at what Jesus said. So if you, if you would find that offensive, you probably won't enjoy it. But if you're mildly curious to see what Jesus had to teach us about, about just growing in character, then I know that you'll enjoy this. And uh, one of the dads just shared a story of how you know, he's going through a divorce, and he had just sat down with his two kids and told them that they're separating. And he just said it's the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. And, uh, you know, and, and so we had a little bit of a discussion around that. And before I even got home, one of the other dads sends me a message. And he says, I need to see you desperately. Well, we, none of us knew. And what he didn't share is that very morning, him and his wife had sat down with their son and told them the same thing. And he said, you know, I know now I need help from that discussion, from that moment. This was just three weeks ago. Monday morning, we sat down. We have it Sunday nights. Monday morning, we sat down. You know what I said to him? I said, listen, you know, what I know is whatever it is that's caused these issues in your marriage, that's brought you to this point, I said, I, what I know is the only one that can help you is Jesus. Because where the problem starts is right here in our hearts. Sin dwells in our hearts. We have a sinful nature. Unless we come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm sorry, please forgive me and make him Lord of our lives, then we still have the sin. The problem is still there. I said, I, I can't guarantee what's going to happen to your marriage. That's not what Jesus is offering. But what he is offering is to bring peace, love, and joy, and transformation to your life. That I can guarantee. That I can offer because I know that's what Jesus came to do. This morning, I want to give you that same opportunity. The good news is that that morning, he, he prayed just three weeks ago, and he gave his heart to Jesus. Yeah, let's give the Lord a hand. My wife, Deb, has started meeting with his wife, and, and we trust in God for a breakthrough, not just for their marriage, but for them. That they're going to experience the power of the resurrection, transforming their lives. But I don't want to just leave that in London. This morning, I want to offer this opportunity to you. Let's all close our eyes. Let's bow our heads.
If you are here this morning and you know that you need Jesus, not to come and put money in your bank, not to even to change your marriage, but you know that you, just you and God, you need Jesus. You know that He is standing at the door of your heart. You know that He is knocking. And you know that you need to be forgiven. You need your guilt and your shame to be washed away through the blood that He shed on the cross. If that is you today and you want to ask Jesus to come into your heart, I want you to just put up your hand so I can pray with you. Thank you, I see those hands. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you, I see those hands. Just with every head still bowed, is there anybody else? Let me give you opportunity. What we're going to do is we're going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And maybe if we can all pray together. It's a simple prayer, just acknowledging, first of all, that we have sinned and that we need Jesus to save us. And then to put our trust in what he did when he died and he rose again. We invite Jesus to come into our heart. You know what? You can't save yourself. If you will just put your trust in him, he will do the rest. That's what we're asking him to do. We're asking him to save us. So let's pray. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today. I know that I have sinned and that I am separated from you. But Jesus, today I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm inviting you to come into my heart and I put my trust in you and all that you did when you died and rose again. I thank you, Jesus, that from this day, that you are not just my Savior, but you are my Lord that I will obey. I thank you, Jesus, for saving me and accepting me as part of your family. Amen.